If you have your Bibles, would you turn them to Revelation chapter 6? That's where we'll start out tonight. Revelation chapter 6. I don't have a whole awful lot. Um, sometimes I think I don't have hardly anything and it takes longer. Or sometimes I have four or five pages of notes and it, it goes by in 20 minutes. Um, so I'll simply give what I have. Um, a little bit tired, a little bit weary. Uh, but still, it's good to be here and look together at Scripture. So as we're getting ready to take our next step in our study, um, I kind of find myself at a crossroads. Um, like, where do we go next? What, what subject do we talk about next? Because there's a lot of different ways that we could go. Uh, do we simply just go verse by verse and, and let it happen as it goes? Or do... Do we try to follow chronologi chronological order, at least as I see it, um, of the events that will take place? Um, I think we're going to try to follow uh, the things as they happen, at least the best that we can. Either way is going to put us into the territory of the unknown. Uh, we're getting into the stuff that Revelation is known for, the, the trippy hard to understand, crazy kind of talk, well, at least as we would call it, um, the stuff that's hard to understand. Either way we go, we're going to get into that kind of territory. So um, I think we need to kind of take a quick look of what we saw already. We looked at the seals. The seals are important. That's actually where we're going to start out again um, this evening, that this scroll that is sealed, that, that's represented in heaven, as each seal is broken, it's an event on the timeline. It's the final seven years of uh, this age as we know it. As each one of those seals is unbroken, an event happens. So as Christ breaks the seals and unrolls, something happens in this timeline. We, we looked in depth at the first three or four seals. Um, Mainly those have to do with the Antichrist, his rise to power, how he, he makes this peace treaty and brings world peace. And then three and a half years in, he declares himself to be God and to be worshipped, uh, breaks the peace treaty with Israel and then declares war, uh, takes over by force. And we've got the false prophet. We've got the mark of the beast. All of that is contained in the first four seals. Those first four seals are not like year one, year two, year three, year four. No, actually they take us quite far in, and they cover most of the seven-year timeline. So we've looked in depth at that, mainly with the Antichrist and who the Antichrist is and um, all that's going on with that. But that's not all that's going on at that time period. We have to understand there's other major events that take place, and there's some other major players. So we're going to start exploring some of that. Let me just confess right from the get-go, some of this is really hard. It's hard to preach. It's hard to teach. Some of it's like simple, right? The Antichrist, the Mark of the Beast. It's easy to place those on the timeline because the Bible's very clear about that. You know, you got the start of the three and a half year, first three and a half year period. He comes on, then in the middle, and you got all of that that's pretty easy or simple, clear enough to understand. But some of this is hard, and I don't know exactly where it fits in. Let me just be honest right from the get-go. And such is the case with what we're going to start our study on tonight. Um, so it's kind of difficult to place. When does this start? When does it happen? 
What exactly does it mean? It's not, <laughs> it's not clear as other passages. I want to turn your attention back as we start to the fourth seal. Revelation chapter 6 and verse 7. Because the events that we're going to start talking about tonight, I think, take place under the fourth seal. So let's see what that means. Revelation 6 and verse 7 says, When he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse. And his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, and with hunger, and with death, and with the beasts of the earth. So just a reminder that this is death that is widespread, massive, a quarter part of the population. And that is, for the numbers right now, um, somewhere around 2 billion or so. That's a lot of people. I think that was, if I remember right, um, more than the population of the U.S. and right around the population of China. Uh, So we're talking about a massive amount of people. I think the events we're going to start talking about take place under this. And so I may be wrong. There are more smarter and gifted men than me who have greater clarity on this. Um, I'm simply, I can only explain it the best I see it and, and what I feel. And if I'm, I'm wrong, then I'm wrong. But I pray that this is all helpful. So where we're going to start our study tonight is Revelation chapter 8. We're going to talk about the seven trumpets. Revelation chapter 8, and we're going to talk, start looking at the seven trumpets. And I believe this, if I could place it on a timeline, it's during the last three and a half years of this time period after the Antichrist has shown his true colors and is uh, uh, just wreaking havoc on the world. And part of what plays into this massive widespread death is these seven trumpets. And so uh, we'll walk, hopefully the, the goal is to get through chapter 8. Again, like I said, I don't have a whole lot. It's pretty, some of this is pretty simple, but we'll see how the Lord leads. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 1. And when he had opened the seventh seal, so now we're right, we're right away going right down the timeline to the seventh seal. When, the, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. The seventh seal opens... There's silence. This is the end. That's the end of everything. Okay, Seven being the number of perfection. So this is the perfect plan of God. This is the perfect unrolling of this timeline events. At, at seal number seven, all of it's done. That being said, I think it should be part of chapter seven and not part of chapter eight. There's other men that agree with me, other preachers, um, other commentators that it was kind of put in chapter 8. I don't believe the seven trumpets take place under the seventh seal. I think chapter 7 ends the unrolling of everything, and that's the big widespread view. And chapter 8, like Revelation does, is now zooming in and starting to give details of events. So I, I don't think the seventh seal opens and then the seven trumpets blow. It doesn't fit the plan Uh, because of some things that go on and kind of correlate with others. So that being said, I think verse 1 should be part of chapter 7. Chapter 2, or excuse me, verse 2 is kind of where this description 
starts. And John sees, he says, And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Seven trumpets. Seven angels that stand before God. God gives them these trumpets. Again, it's a reminder that all of this is in the hands of God. Uh, though things might be happening down here uh, that, that seems like things are out of control, it's not. The seals are opened by Christ. He allows these things, these trumpets, which will bring um, devastation. They will bring uh, heartache. They'll bring a terrible time on earth. These trumpets are given. Things like like that to me are important. They're given by God. It's not out of His control. So we have these seven angels given these trumpets. But before they start to sound, we have an interesting event. Sometimes in the past, I've just kind of passed over it, and oh, that's nice. Got a, got some types here, but I think it's pretty important. At least um, my feeling is of, of why it's included before the trumpet starts. So, notice in verse three, and another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of. Prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. So we get this beautiful picture of um, maybe a view of the throne room of heaven. And I don't know if this is speaking figuratively. I'm sure John saw an actual altar or the actual altar and an angel with a censer. But I think it's... It's figurative for some spiritual things. This, is, these, this furniture shouldn't be unfamiliar to us. This is from the Old Testament, right? At the Old Testament, you have an altar. Um, you had actually two altars. You had the main altar out front, and then you had the Ark of the Covenant, which in a way was an altar because there was blood sprinkled on that where the mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies. And different people have different opinions on what this might be talking about, but... Um, it shouldn't be unfamiliar to us. We, we see this picture of an altar before the throne. This angel comes in and he's holding something called a censer. And th- this censer was used for Old Testament worship uh, for a couple things, actually. One of, the re- one of the things it was used for is it used to carry fire to and from the altar. So they would put the coals from the altar in this and carry it to or from to keep that fire perpetually burning. So if they were going to move... Uh, um, like the tabernacle in the Old Testament, if they were going to move, they put the coals in and keep the fire burning. Um, the idea was to be perpetual fire. And one of the accounts in the Old Testament that sticks out in my mind is Aaron's sons. Uh, Nadab and Abihu, I remember, if I remember right, they brought strange fire to the altar. They built their own fire. They didn't do it according to God's plan, and God struck them down. They carried strange fire in their censers. So this was pretty important. It was a pretty important piece of furniture. And another function, not only to carry the fire, but it was also used to burn incense. Like John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, in the book of Luke. It was his turn to go and burn incense in the temple. So this isn't new. This doesn't come out of nowhere. It's using Old Testament um, typology to, 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 to show it. He says, this angel has this golden censer to burn uh, this incense along with the prayers of the saints that he should offer it with 
that word offer means add it to. That he should add it to the prayers of the saints. Look back in chapter 5 and verse 8. You'll see something there. It says, When he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps, and the golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. We get that same picture here in Revelation chapter 8 of this, this incense that's burning that's compared to or likened to the prayers of the saints. Psalm 142, or excuse me, 141 and verse 2 says, David says this, Let my prayer be set before thee as incense. It's actually a beautiful picture. Everybody knows incense, right? You actually know where you get that word from? Frankincense. That's where the word comes from. That's what it was actually used for way back in. But you know, you, you walk into somebody's house or you walk into somebody's store and you notice immediately, right, uh, this, this place smells. <laughs> They're burning something in here. It don't smell right. They're, maybe it smells good. Depends on what they're burning. But it's immediately noticeable, right? And it's pretty potent. It's not like those little glade things you plug in the wall, which sometimes work or don't. No, this, this fills the whole place. You, you, it's immediately recognizable. And our prayers are pictured that way here. They are fragrant to God. God notices our prayers. He hears our prayers. They're not something that slips by Him. He knows He hears they are like incense before Him. He has a golden censer that has the prayers of the saints in them. The smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints. Verse 4. You get the picture? This this beautiful uh, fragrance in the very throne room of God, God hears our prayers. And I think, I think that's important to stop and, and take notice. Right here, like in the middle of the book of Revelation, God is shown to hear prayers. And that's prayers for everyday life. That's prayers for maybe struggles or trials or maybe some special situation. You need to know your prayers are before Him. Uh, Romans Chapter 8 says they're taken by the very Holy Spirit to the Father Himself, and we ask them in the very precious and powerful name of Jesus, who the Bible says is Himself a sweet-smelling savor. So, this is the beautiful picture. Now, can you imagine what it would be, and maybe this is my mind just kind of working overtime, what this would be like in this time, or what it will be like in this time? So if you've ever been to somebody's house or, or whatever that burns incense, you light like a couple of them. You get that haze in the room, right? It's like a little smoky. I picture here like billowing smoke out of this thing, like a campfire that you just put out, you know, all the smoke is coming up. <laughs> if prayer life is unhealthy before this, I think during this time, some things are going to get set straight. Prayer life is going to be helpful. There's going to be a lot of saints praying a lot uh, during this time and, and things that are going on. And so I wonder, what is going to be the content of those prayers? What are people going to be praying for during the tribulation? With the Antichrist in power, with the, the false prophet who is... Um, enforcing idol worship, right? And the mark of the beast. And if you don't bow down to that, 
you lose your life. And Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 and other places, and the book of Revelation are very clear. This Antichrist is going to be waging war with the saints. He's going to be out to kill, to stamp out the people of God, whether it be Israel or those who profess the name of Christ. What's the prayers going to be like? I'm sure there's going to be prayers for protection, right? Prayers for strength. Prayers for wisdom. But one more thing, and I think this is how it ties in. If we are watching what's going on, if we're being discerning and we can see, hey, this, this is unfolding, this guy's the Antichrist, that guy's the false prophet, this is the mark of the beast, and things begin to happen, right? I think there's going to be prayers for judgment. As in, okay, God, take this guy out. Do what you're going to do. You think that's wrong? Do you think it's wrong to pray for judgment? I don't either. In fact, I found myself praying more along those lines in recent days than I ever have. For the Lord to stop. Stop this. Stop that. Just intervene. Please, Lord, intervene. And I think there's going to be prayers along that line. Especially if we're discerning, like I said, and we can see it. The prayer is going to be, okay, Lord, I know what's coming. You already told us. And I know it's going to be some hard times, but man, it's time, Lord. Doesn't John himself say at the end of this book, even so, Lord Jesus, come? You know what that means, right? Yeah, there's going to be some hard times, but even so, your coming is greater. So even so, come. I think that, that's going to be some of the prayers that are offered by the saints. And as those go up to God, He begins to take action. Look, look at verse 5. And the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. He fills it with this fire from the altar. The altar is the place where sin was judged, where sin was cleansed, right? Countless sacrifices were burnt and offered as the covering for sin. And it was there that you had to get right with God. It was the place of judgment. It was the place of atonement, right? The sin was covered as the righteous fire of God consumed the sacrifice. Ultimately, all fulfilled in Christ, because He gave His blood and His body as the sacrifice, and He bore the righteous judgment of God for all who placed their faith in Him. But I think this fire is representative of God's judgment. And I believe God's judgment on the earth starts here. It begins here. It's ultimately going to be fulfilled in what we call the vials or bowls of wrath. But I think this starts God's judgment. Here with the seven trumpets, it begins. It's terrible. It's frightening. And His judgment is, isn't it? What happened the last time He judged the earth? The flood. People died because God judged the earth. 
People are going to die here like a quarter of the population, which is much less, like 99.99% less than the last time he did. Eight people lived through that one. But God, I think, begins his judgment here. And by the way, he has a right to do that. We've got such a softy, liberal view of God. He's God. Even if our little minds get uncomfortable with the thought of God taking life or the God or God pouring out his wrath, we are not in the right mind of thinking. We're not, we don't have the right perspective. You think of all the wholesale rejection of God who has created everything, who sustains everything, who alone deserves all of the worship ever, and all of the wholesale rejection that has been given Him, all of the idolatry, all of the blasphemy, and He's put up with it. Right? This is the time He says, No more. This is a long time coming, which actually should kind of uh, should kind of move us to um, to witness to those around about us. We live in the age of grace and mercy; that much is clear. It's not always going to be like that, and in fact, God is really good to everybody. People that reject Him, people that hate Him, people that want nothing to do with Scripture, they call this lies or a fairy tale, they have families that love them, they experience joy, they have breath in their lungs, they laugh, they see the beauty of nature, all of that is goodness of God. And God has been really good to everyone, and that's for a purpose. Romans chapter 2 tells us this, Do you despise the riches of His goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. All this goodness that God has shown us should lead us to repentance once we view our own sin, right? It's all there to back up what Scripture says. Um, He's been really good, but the time for that will be gone. And He's going to have His judgment. And I see the angel picking up this fire of the judgment of God, in my mind at least, swinging it around like a sling, and boom, here we go. It's down on the earth. And with that, the seven trumpets begin. As we read some of this, I don't know exactly what it means. I'm going to say that right from the get-go. It's prophecy, so give me a little bit of leeway, but John writes what he sees. We try to interpret it with our modern perspective. Um, I think this is all still yet to pass. So, let's see what he says. First trumpet, verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. Hail and fire and blood. Destruction. It's a little later on in the book that there's some special hailstones that are mentioned that are about, oh, yay big around, and they weigh so many pounds. We've seen, have you seen places like Oklahoma and I 
back east that have the big old baseball size hail, right? You've seen the destruction that could, could wreak. Along with fire and blood, um, it takes out a third part of the trees. And let me just be honest, I missed that word all until right now. All green grass. All green grass. So this evidently is a worldwide um, phenomenon, not, not simply to uh, one location. And if there's hail and fire and blood falling on the ground, it's going to kill the grass. And evidently a third part of the trees. Could this be literal? Is there literal hail with fire that's mingled with blood falling? Sure, it's Revelation. <laughs> it sure could be. Could be other things. I've heard different different uh, um, interpretations. Weapons. Napalm would look like that, right? If you've ever seen uh, images from Vietnam... Sure does look like fall, fire falling from the sky. Um, could be chemical warfare, tracers uh, with bullets leaving red streaks. Um, could be a lot of different things. Could be literal, could be figurative. I don't, I don't know for sure. Whatever it is, this wreaks havoc. This biologically sets us in a tailspin. third of the trees. You know what trees do, right? They put oxygen in the air. We need them all to breathe. So this is a 33% of them gone. Look back in chapter 7 and verse 1. There's something else that's going on at the same time too. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. Um, that's pretty big too. You know how the center of the United States gets rain. The wind blows the clouds off the sea inland, and so it rains, and so our breadbasket is watered. Uh, same for other countries. The, the, the ocean precipitates into fresh water, and the clouds go in, and it rains, and it drains, and it's a cycle. It's the water cycle. You probably learned about it way back in elementary school. You have to have the wind to do that, right? Well, if the wind is stopped... You don't have that. And now you have all of the green grass is gone. What do cows eat? What do chickens, well, chickens eat corn, I guess. <laughs> what does livestock eat? Grass. You have the food chain disrupted. You have the biological system disrupted. And this is going to set the stage for environmental hell. Trumpet one does that. Trumpet 1. Trumpet number 2, verse 8. And the second angel sounded, and as it were a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea. And the third part of the sea became blood, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of the ships were destroyed. A great mountain burning with fire. What does that sound like? What's that? Volcano. Volcano. Meteor. Asteroid. Asteroid. Well, I think that comes in a bit. In a bit. <laughs> Aren't those two the same thing? Volcano, that's what comes to my mind. Um, 
what year was Mount St. Helens? 80? So that was, before, that was before my time. You guys remember that, I'm sure? Did, was there any effects out this way? So I think that's the most recent one, right? Mount St. Helens, like a mega volcano kind of thing. Um, we have records in history, uh, Krakatoa, uh, places like that, that volcanoes would erupt and they cause massive destruction and global effects. So this could be the biggest one. I, some people say, well, this is, this is when Yosemite erupts. And aren't we having earthquakes in that city right now? Yellowstone. Not Yosemite, Yellowstone, sorry, I misspoke. Could be both. <laughs> this is when Yellowstone erupts, because that's one giant volcano. It certainly could be, and, and it, it goes to the sea, and it causes all this destruction. A third of sea life, again, that, there's a biological cycle. And this is food chain, this is, this is um, um, ecological effects that are going on. If this is literal, this third part of the sea becomes blood, that's going to be nasty. You know what makes a dead body stink, right? It's the blood. It's the blood that stinks. Can you imagine the stench and the filth that if this is literal? And of course, then the, the shipping transit, the, the, the shipping transit lines will be destroyed. And so you have supplies that different companies uh, uh, countries might rely on is now disrupted so this second trumpet sounds a great mountain well it could be literal I, i'm not saying it's not there was something else in recent history that was described as a burning mountain it was hiroshima nuclear uh, weapons could that be what's happened and it is set off and it has widespread effects on the ocean. Maybe it's a missed target. Somebody was targeting somebody and it hits the ocean. I, I, don't, I don't know. But it destroys a third of sea life, all transit. The water turns to blood. It's become poisonous. No seafood, which is not a big deal for me, but I think that's pretty much going to be out in this time, right? That's trumpet number two. The third is in verse 10. The third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of waters. A name, the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many died of the waters because they were made bitter. Wormwood, that's, a, that's an actual plant, I believe, uh, that's poisonous, and uh, can't drink it, so you get the idea here, this great star that comes down burning as a lamp, it strikes, or it affects the third part of rivers, and it strikes the fountains of water, so it turns fresh water into poison, a third of the rivers, and Fountains, that would be like the mountain sources where the fresh water comes, whether it's the snow melting or springs. Those are stricken, so very limited fresh water now, and many men died because the waters were made bitter. They're poisonous. 
by this great star that falls. That sounds to me like a meteor or an asteroid or whatever you want to call it, right? You ever seen a comet in the sky? Looks like a burning lamp going across. I saw a sh- Man, one of the coolest things I've ever seen, we were on vacation in Havasu, and you go out in the night and you go fishing or whatever, and you just lay there, and this, of course as black as all can be, and you can just see every single star. I saw a shooting star that was like green and glowing, and it had flames. Nothing like I've ever seen. I've seen that thing shoot across the sky. <laughs> it was the coolest thing I ever saw. I thought, whoa, is that like going to come hit us and everything's going to end? But <laughs> I can, huh? It might have been. It was a cool looking one. But I could see this being a meteor. John trying to describe it. This great star that's burning like a lamp and strikes the rivers and the fountains. It also could have some kind of connotation to a weapon or um, something like that, uh, that that poisons water. You beginning to see how the fourth seal could be tied into all of this, this massive widespread death and then some of these things that are starting to take place. And then look at the fourth trumpet. The fourth angel sounded, verse 12, and the third part of the sun was smitten and the third part of the moon, and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened, and the day shone not for a third part of it, and the night likewise. And I beheld, and, well, yeah, third part of it. That sounds familiar. That sounds like Egypt and darkness. For a third part of the day, the sun doesn't shine. For a third part of the night, the moon nor the stars shine, which could be effects from these previous trumpets Um, so you can imagine uh, it's going to throw everything off it's a pretty bad situation right there's no fresh water hardly any fresh water there's no wind to blow the clouds inland to get more Um, third of the sea life is dead all the green grass third of uh, trees and plants the food chains disrupted that could be seal number three coming in too, right? A measure of wheat for a day's wage, a measure of barley for the three measures of barley for the same. Night and day are disrupted. Everything's thrown upside down. Now, some of this could be the result of the Antichrist raging war. It doesn't give us a time period on how long. It is before each trumpet sounds. I know where to place one trumpet, and that's trumpet number seven. (laughs) I'm pretty sure where that goes. Other than that, I don't know. These could be bam, 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 like all rapid-fire succession as the Antichrist is waging war. Maybe he's shooting nukes at Israel or, or all these kind of different weapons at the saints or any opposition, any other countries. And as he uses these weapons on a a worldwide scale, they have global consequences and people are dying as well as the global impact. That could very well be a case and I could see that fitting. Or these could be supernatural, literal things that God is just bringing in. Whether God just does that on his own or whether God executes judgment through the actions of Antichrist, he's allowed to do that, right? And this is just the start of it. The Bible talks in many places about the cup of the 
the cup of the wrath of God. Did I say that right? And Isaiah especially. I wish I was a little bit sharper um, because Isaiah talks a lot, has a lot of prophetic language in it. And there's like references to here. I'll come across them. But for me to connect the dots, I'm just not, I'm just not that smart. <laughs> to say, oh, look, this is talking about here. But Isaiah talks a lot about drinking full the cup of God's wrath. And this is the time where it's coming. This is just the start. Look in verse 13. And I beheld and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven. Angel is flying in the sky. And he's proclaiming something with a loud voice. Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. This is, no, this is not woe like woe, dude. This is an exclamation of grief, of pain, of lament. And he says it three times. That's a Hebrew expression. So if you want to say something, you say it once. God is holy. If you want to make the point, you say it twice. God is holy, holy. If you want to make it unmistakable to the ultimate, to the extreme, you say it three times. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's a Hebrew way of speaking. And here that is brought over. Woe, woe, woe to all who are on the earth because the three angels left haven't yet sounded. And by the way, one of those trumpets is really good for some people, but not for others. And I believe the last three trumpets are the three woes which are yet to come. So that's what I have for this evening. Um, I hope it's been a blessing and I hope uh, gets you to think about some things again. Though it might sound scary, it might sound frightening. In the end, it is bringing us closer to the return of Christ. So we'll see you at Sunday at 10. <laughs> you look like you have a burning question. <laughs>